Bam 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 I'm Lisa Linky. I'm Misty Stinnett. I love, I feel like every time I hear that, you should definitely be doing the news on NPR. Well, I really wanted to say, and I'm Cherry Glazier. Oh, wow. That is a well, great. And she, all, she <gasps> always sounds right. a little bit disinterested in what she's saying. Like, yeah. and in another aspect of the news, there's a wreck on the 405. And then she just keeps, so that's how I'm going to do this. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, welcome back to the podcast, I guess. Whatever. Guys, we've taken a turn in the very early (laughs) minutes and moments of our weekly beef. beef. I've decided to embrace it. We haven't had any feedback from anyone. So so we're assuming everyone loves it. it. And I've started to love it. Because I have fallen in love with the cows on our Instagram. They're so cute. If you haven't seen the posts that we've been putting up, we're at Go Help Yourself Podcast on Instagram. Um, and Lisa keeps finding these amazing pictures of these like so kind of sassy, sweet cows. Every cow has an attitude. Yeah, they do. <laughs> That's my mantra. That's the name of my biography. And as we all know, the cows are prone to self-help. This is a well-known fact, Mm -hmm. so we feel like it's a fitting mascot. It's totally true. So um, today's episode, today's uh, weekly beef episode is super, super packed with lots of fun stuff. We have some listener emails you guys have written in because you were so inspired by our life-changing magic of tidying up episode, and we're so happy to hear from you. But before that, Misty. Yeah. I want to check in about your homework from Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. Thank you. And for anybody listening for the first time who is like, wait a second, I tuned in to hear a self-help book. Those are the regular episodes that yeah. we drop on Fridays. That's the full episode. This your weekly beef? This your weekly beef where we... <laughs> this your weekly beef? Yeah, this is where we do homework check-ins on the books we've already read and... Add in any anything fun Whatever and different. Whatever we feel like. Yeah. This is our time. This is our to time. To explore all of the other aspects of self-help. We don't have to answer to you. No, we don't. <laughs> so you know what? Please keep listening. We love please, you. Thank you. Real, we, we really do have grateful. a good episode okay, today. So please. You, yes. Okay, great. Okay. Misty. <laughs> yeah. Homework check-in time. So for from the book Daring Greatly, mm-hmm. you assign, we discovered that I have a little bit of foreboding joy. A little bit? Or that's your or a lot of stasis, bit. is what I, you had said. Yeah, <laughs> you said that's I experience my, that all the time. All the time. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? It's kind of, it, oh, I almost said it's kind of a checkout when we say a little bit. It's a checkout when we qualify things with a little bit or mm-hmm. kind of. Mm-hmm. And yes, I have foreboding joy. Mm-hmm. And something that you assigned me for homework was any time I am feeling that impulse to quash my joy in the moment mm-hmm. or close down when mm-hmm. something good is happening to me, I can say, I'm feeling vulnerable and I'm grateful for blank. Mm-hmm. Which is what Brene Brown does exactly in her moments of foreboding joy or her right. moments of vulnerability. Because the idea is, if I'm remembering correctly, to you can't be feeling fear and gratitude at the same time or that it sort of shifts the mind. Well, you can, but it takes a lot of mental effort for your brain. Right. And so um, it's easier to just shift into one over the other. Right. I think. Yeah. Right. And we leave it with the gratitude part. Right. Yeah. We don't start with saying I'm grateful for and I'm really feeling vulnerable. <laughs> right, 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 right. We say I'm feeling vulnerable and, and I'm grateful for blank. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a nice way to reframe it. 
And what's yeah. happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I texted you. Yes, you did. Once or twice throughout the week, just in moments. I can't remember exactly what I was. I can tell you the day and time if you need. Oh, that's okay. No, <laughs> no. The last week has been a blur. It really has. A kind of. A, this yeah. week has felt like a year. Yeah. Um, but I did find that in the small moments, that was helpful because okay. it at least, at least, even if it didn't fully replace the fear or the foreboding or the discomfort that I was feeling, there was this silver lining of like, oh yeah, and things are going well because I have this thing I'm grateful for. But yeah. in smaller moments, I did feel a shift. Now, and a quick question: Was yeah. it easy to remember to do that, or did you have to kind of like? No, it was a total effort. Great. Honestly, it's. <laughs> I think I got halfway through the week and was like, oh, God, what was my homework? What was I supposed to do? And I'm, Girl, I feel I'm you. pretty sure I felt foreboding joy like 10 times before that. <laughs> so that worked for me on a smaller level. But then I booked another voiceover job. Yeah. And I was on my way to record it. Yeah. And I was just in this. It felt like a, a pattern was triggered. I was an immediately in like a negative self-talk cycle, oh, wow. feeling terrible. I was driving. And, and I've done this particular job with this particular group many times. I've I've been on contract with them four or five times and then observed like 10 times. So and there were people there that I know and love and have known for a long time and I was just like anxiety sweating in my car and just smelling so bad by the time I got there. And I couldn't, I kept saying out loud, like, I'm feeling vulnerable and I'm grateful for and would fill in the blank with anything and everything I could. Like, I'm grateful for this opportunity. I'm grateful uh, for the extra income it's going to provide me. I'm grateful to see my friends when I get there. And it just wasn't working. Yeah, I love that, that you're aware of that. Yeah, and I, I was trying everything I could to get out of that negative. I was really having a fight or flight response is what it was. And my brain was like, you're going to die. You're going to die. Don't do this. You know, it was, it was very interesting. So I think, I think with time, I could see how I might be able to like rewire my brain and shift the neurons into a different circuit. Yeah. But, but right now the circuit of like, of fear and anxiety, et cetera, was just stronger than the vulnerability was. Well, I, first of all, thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, yeah. That's really, really cool. Um, It's really, really cool that you had a a day full of anxiety. Like almost an anxiety. Uh, Yeah, no. It's really cool. And I feel very grateful that you're willing to share that. Yeah. Um, And I feel like I can relate. I'm sure Sav can relate. I'm Mm. sure everybody can relate who's listening. I wonder if this was not a moment of foreboding joy, but just straight up anxiety. Oh, yeah, that that was. But what I was trying to put into practice is her sort of like focusing on gratitude yeah. can help shift that. And it was. It was just okay. anxiety. Yeah. Sure. So I, I wonder, I guess because I'm your friend and I feel a little protective of you, I'm like, well, how in the world were you supposed to make that like how how in the world could that yeah. have worked? Like you're yeah. being really hard on yourself, and I would yeah. just love for you to be gentle with yourself and think that it was amazing that you were able to continue to do that. Because mm. after like three times, I would have been like, "Well, fuck that. That's not working, right. Brene Brown. You're stupid. This is not no, working. No. Everything is dumb. <laughs> this is terrible. I'm going to die right now." Like I would have just driven off the edge in my mind. So well, and, and I, I love that you kept trying, I, Misty. I think that's really cool. Thank you. And I think that, and this is something we keep coming back to in these books, 
this is when getting comfortable with discomfort Mm -hmm. really kicks in because it's interesting with self-help when I'm trying something an author suggests and it's not working for me, mm-hmm. that can compound the negative thoughts you and feelings. Believe it. Oh my God, this isn't working. What, what am, am I, I doing, doing wrong? Ugh. All that sort of Are thing. Are you and I in the same brain? Yes, yes. We are becoming one person. Um, but it, it, then it kind of reminded me of Mark Manson's book afterwards. I wasn't thinking about this in the moment, but it's like, you know, what if I had just leaned in and gone, okay, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling fearful, and I'm going to go in and and do my best with that right there, which is something that in those moments has served me better than trying to shift out of it. So I wonder about that. I think that like I was just thinking about his book as you were talking about Mm -hmm. this, because what I was thinking is we're all going to die. Right. So like and not that you were doing this, but I think something that I do is that practice of self-flagellation when things aren't going well like Mm -hmm. to kind of double down I call it the double down Mm -hmm. right like why can't I be happy for myself getting to go to this thing right Uh, so I'm really I I guess what I'm starting to feel like is maybe and and maybe I've never understood this about self-help but maybe a best practice of self-help is being able to pull little tiny things from multiple sources yes which is why I think ideally I don't agree with self-help because one person comes in and says, here's the one thing you need to do all the time. Right. Right. Yeah. I I think. And there are no gurus. There are just, there are no gurus. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that is something I normally pull from my bag of tricks, as I like to call it. But in that moment, I was just, because when, when I'm in fight or flight, I'm not thinking clearly. Your brain literally is only thinking about fighting or flighting. Mm -hmm. And, um, this is but it's it's amazing because this is where habits and practice can really kick in because I've had vocal training. I was able to go into the room, breathe in my belly, yeah. relax my jaw, yeah. try and stay as present as I could with that fight or flight dialogue going through my brain. And like an hour into the session, I finally relaxed and I wasn't really able to enjoy it, mm-hmm. but I was I, I I was proud of the work I did. did I it. got good feedback. Yeah. I did it. And when I left, I finally was able to like exhale and kind of drop my shoulders. And so yeah. I don't know. I think in that, I think sometimes it, there's not a moment for positive thinking. There's not a moment for shifting a mindset. Sometimes you just have to meet your brain where it's at yeah. and go... Okay, and I think I've used this phrase before, but, like, move forward with the monkey of fear on your back. Yeah. Like, it's there. It's with you. It doesn't feel great, but there's no way to get it off. And so we're going through this together. Well, and I feel like Elizabeth Gilbert in Big Magic is, like, you can't have creativity without fear. You can't have, you know, opportunity without fear. So, like, learning how to have both of them exist is really important. I feel like you did a great job of that. Thank you. And I I think the takeaway was— Okay, if in the moment these things are failing, it can compound negative thoughts. Yeah. So just being aware of that. And I think finally I just turned on my radio and started to sing. Yeah. And it got me sort of out of this mental dialogue. It got me into that moment. So, But something I did do afterwards is, and I think I texted you about this, (laughs) I stopped by a store Uh and bought myself a fancy-ass candle. I love that. And I normally don't spend money on fancy candles or do that sort of thing. But I was like, you know what? 
I was terrified. Yeah. I did it anyway. Yeah. My body is coming down from like adrenaline and epinephrine <laughs> and all this crazy stuff. with this. <laughs> and, I, and I bought this thing to go, hey, good job for doing that because that's another way that I'm trying to train my brain. Discomfort and fear are okay. Yes. It's normal. That's great. Look, Look at, at you. Look at that positive reinforcement. Yeah. Also, your hands, when you're describing this fancy candle, are very large. <laughs> was this a very large candle? It is the a circumference is like 14 pound I mean, candle. it looks like no. a foot wide. It's this little, it's this little coconut wax one that okay. has a hundred hour burn time and okay. it smells like heaven. Okay. <laughs> Very nice. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm yeah. really, I love these um, check-ins in between because I feel like for me, I I don't assimilate information and process information in the moment. Yeah. I really need to kind of chew on it and mull on it. Yes. And hearing about it in, through a different filter is really helpful. So like these are really helpful for me to actually provide some longevity for the stuff that we're hearing about in our full episodes. Yeah, and and this is just like one week-long period of trying to put this into practice. And I think it just goes to show that like understanding self-help on a conceptual level is one thing. And putting it into practice is totally different. And And it is is hard. It is hard. And I want to say also – you were able to execute because you, <laughs> because of the work that you've done with Matt Beisner. So it yeah. wasn't just self-help in the moment. Like you had to rely on the training and right. the work that you've had. But even that took 18 months of classes yeah. to even get to the point where that's a, a near automatic thought of going, okay, well, what's the next right action? Yeah relax my jaw well that's what i mean is that like i feel and this is a discussion for another time but i feel like this reliance on self-help kind of creates a false narrative that like Mm -hmm. i can do it myself and it's my responsibility and i have to be responsible for it only myself and that's that's simply really not true and challenging yeah i don't know who anybody who does anything all on their own in this world that's right that's exactly okay. Well, right. I would love to hear um, the move forward about on our listener email. Yeah, so it's a really fascinating one. It is. So, um, a little bit of context before we dive in. So, these listener emails are about the life changing magic of tidying up, and the reason we're, we're circling back to this episode, which I think was the fourth book we did um, last month. But we recorded this. Before we even knew that Marie Kondo had a show coming out on Netflix. That's right. So Tidying Up hadn't been announced. It hadn't dropped yet when we recorded that episode. It was just a bestseller. It was just a bestseller that I'd read. And um, so after watching the show, I definitely feel differently about Marie Kondo and her process and understand some things differently than I did, which we can talk about after we read this listener email. Yeah, and I also watched an episode. Great. Mm -hmm. Great. So we'll dive into that in a second. But basically, my sister wrote to us um, this really thoughtful and beautiful email who was and she was like, listen, I was listening to the life changing magic of tidying up episode. And I have thoughts like I don't agree with everything you're saying, which is so wonderful. And we are so happy, Heather, that you wrote in. So she and I actually had another little dialogue after that. Oh my God, you did. I love your sister. She's amazing. Yeah. And so is my little sister, Jen. Hi, baby. Um, okay. Also, when you wrote back, you signed it Misty Doodle, which I did. is that what 
she calls you and you call you? That's what my dad called me. Oh, I he love He called me that. Misty Doodle and I called him Daddy Doodle. Come on. And so, yeah. And so when I wrote back to Heather it, on uh, <laughs> on the go, our email address is gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com if anybody wants to reach us. But Lisa and I share it so we can see everything yeah. we write. So Lisa saw this exchange between my sister and I. I love that. Um, yeah. Okay, Misty great. Doodle. Doodle is very special to me. So yeah. you can be Lisa Doodle if you oh, want. Oh, yay. Yay. Okay, so I am just going to read the email that Heather sent. Misty and Lisa and Sav, I love you both. Well, I love Misty most, but Lisa, (laughs) you seem very nice. (laughs) She says, I love the podcast. To be honest, I was taken aback by the episode about the life-changing magic of tidying up and found myself urging to respond out loud as I listened. As a fan of the KonMari method, I have read the book and watched the Netflix series completely. I felt that much was either a bit off or missing in the episode, so I'd like to share my thoughts. Yes, Heather. First, the book specifies that doing the method in one go doesn't mean one day. This is made very clear, and she addresses the issue of pacing to avoid fatigue in the book. It just means that if you do all the steps over a year, for example, that it's not a focused process and won't be efficient or help you build the reflexes of doing it in a deep way. It's also necessary to keep inventory and remember where everything is, which is easier in a shorter span of time. I remember the book saying a few weeks, but I'd have to check. Next, the issue of sparking joy. Yes, many of the objects in our home should spark joy, but some just won't. Thinking of those bottles of bleach and Drano Misty has hanging out in various cabinets or whatever, I have them too. Don't judge. (laughs) It must run in the family. You guys like to build bombs. Yes, that's right. Uh, This is as much about identifying what's actively preventing joy than keeping things around you that spark it. For example, I was holding on to several, a lot of, little decorative elements and items in my home that had been gifted to me and I kept on display out of obligation rather than love for the objects themselves. While I appreciated the gesture made by the people who gave them to me as gifts, they were a nuisance to dust around and I didn't feel they matched the decor in my home. When I tidied my home, I thanked them, thanked my dear friends in my mind, and let them go. I donated them, of course, as is advocated on the TV show and in the book. Honestly, those things were making me low-grade miserable at home and I didn't even know it. This is a tiny example of the liberation I felt after tidying my entire home, a process which left me feeling free, weightless, and happier than ever before. It's about curating your environment and living today the way you want to, rather than holding onto things for the wrong reasons and spending time and money organizing, shuffling around, cleaning, and storing things which are probably actually counter to the way you want to live. On collections and keeping things, you're allowed to keep and have as much of each item as you want. Marie Kondo would never tell you to get rid of anything that you actually want to keep. Your collection of rusty 18th century knitting needles can stay if you love them. So can your 17 pairs of sparkly tights. So can your old cooking magazines. Just keep things on purpose rather than out of obligation or some other nonsense. We're all kinds of boomers and grandchildren of the Depression. We too are coming of age. We Xers and millennials anyway in a new depression age. Yes, people want to keep things, but I don't think that's why. But that's a whole other letter. She's right. And then she says, fuck capitalism and consumerism in American media. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and Kamari at its heart is truly about appreciating what we have and is not counter to use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. It's about consuming mindfully. I think that mantra is so closely aligned to Kamari than anything. I yelled at my phone, 
OMG, that's what the whole thing is about. <laughs> uh, she says, linking an article below that expands on this, which we've read and we'll talk about in a minute. I understand and appreciated you both questioning whether this comes from a place of privilege. That's a valid point and worthy of asking. Love when you do that, by the way. Keep on doing the work. I would offer the point as well that people in poverty could often benefit from these ideas as much as a rich man could. Or more, capitalism's complex relationship to poverty is another letter for another day from someone who knows far more than I do about it. Just love her. But yes, at pure face value, I see how you'd read the sparking joy element this way. Don't buy or keep what you don't need or want is something we should all be able to get behind. I think you're both super smart and funny women, and I can't wait for the next episode and the next and the next. So much love to you both, and thanks for reading all the books so I don't have to. Honestly, cannot wait to read The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck thanks to you. And the big leap is going to be a hard pass after hearing your episode. (laughs) So thanks for saving me those hours of reading that old white male privilege fucking trash and letting me scoff at it along (laughs) with you while grocery shopping. <laughs> Thanks for hearing me out in abundance. Actually, I donated all my abundance to Goodwill, so in purposefully moderate minimalism, Heather. <laughs> Yay, Heather. Thank you so much for writing that. Yeah, and then she links to the article, um, which goes into how white America's outright and blind rejection of Kanmari is problematic. And the article also expands on some of her points in a more organized and less rambling way, she says, but I didn't find her email to be rambling. I didn't find her email to be rambling either. It was really well thought out and so lovely. And we love that you had a reaction while you were listening. We think that's great. Yeah. And also, I would say, like, I think Lisa and I try to acknowledge our perspective is limited. Who the fuck are we? We're just two bitches in LA who love sitting and talking together. That's right. And just eating a lot of locks for breakfast. Such a good spread. So good. Um, But I'm doing the best that I can with my hermeneutical lens Mm -hmm. and hearing these things. Obviously, I certain things resonated with me and certain things didn't. Yeah. And I love getting this this extra layer in this feedback because I hadn't thought about, you know, I just hadn't thought about like, I guess there was an assumption in, in us saying like, well, if you're poor, you can't do this. And that's an assumption. Like maybe there is a way. Well, yeah, I think, I think uh, uh, mindful consumerism is definitely befitting of anybody, Mm -hmm. no matter what your uh, uh, economic situation is. I will say and not having read the book, mm-hmm. I, that is not what came to me from from hearing it. And I will right. also say, having watched the first episode, because mm-hmm. that's about all I could take. <laughs> oh, really? Um, uh-huh. You didn't love it? No. Mm. And that is not what came to me either, mm. um, uh, was mindful consumerism. I could see that people were also getting that. And I will say, we live in a consumerist society, not a capitalist society. So, like, I don't know how realistic that is for us. Mm. Um, and... I think it's also kind of setting up for failure because the thing is, is we live in a disposable society. We don't make things the way that we used to. Mm. We make things purposely that are disposable so that we buy them over and over and over. So it's kind of hard to just say, well, I'm only going to buy things that last because you're going to have a hard time. Yeah. Well, I I guess I I'm having trouble differentiating. What is the difference between a capitalistic society and a consumerist society? Aren't those sort of the same thing? I think they are. I think that a true capitalist society is where y- y- 
you kind and and I again I'm speaking out of turn my my concentration economics is really falling short at this great. moment. You're doing great. But I think a consumerist society is one that drives and is is kind of based on buying 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 mm-hmm. buying buying which is mm-hmm. what we are. I mean, I think the majority of households live in debt. Yeah. And so if you take that and extrapolate it, then the majority of businesses are running because the majority of people are spending beyond their means. Hey, guys. Uh, due to the magic of uh, technology, we actually researched, and here, here, here go the thing. Here's the definition of capitalism. Capitalism is a socioeconomic system that encourages producers, resource owners, and consumers to carry out economic activities with minimal or no state interference. It allows their actions to be guided by the concepts of private property, profit motive, and consumer's sovereignty. And consumerism is the act of individuals or companies acquiring and consuming products and services. It is dependent on the goods and services being supplied by the producers and the selection or range of goods and services being offered to consumers. Since consumers will only buy the things that they need or want, consumerism shapes the way things are produced and what is produced. And I will add that... Consumerism is an ideology, and capitalism is an economic state. Did you say that? An ideology? Yeah. No, you're so smart. So consumerism also kind of like, since it's an ideology, it influences people, Mm -hmm. and capitalism is um, how we, how our market works. Right. Like supply meets demand versus Mm -hmm. um, uh, communism, which would say like, this is how much we're producing of this, Mm -hmm. and the state is choosing how much we're producing. Right. And a lot of people say that the growth of consumerism coincided with the growth of capitalism. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. My gut reaction is that capitalism sort of made this market for consumerism, and that's what grew out of that. There's also this great documentary i think it's free in parts on youtube called the century of self oh and it's about advertising and how it created this concept of how advertising switched from a product-based mm. um sale mm. to a needs-based meaning this is our soap and here are the and like if you look old ads just were like literature yeah this and is soap this is what it's about here this are what the it benefits like. right a benefits mm-hmm. based and now it's like you might stink, and that would be really offensive to other people. Yeah, no one's going to love you if yeah. you don't smell like a rose. And we have so, the best rose soap. Yeah, right. so it's consumerism is about people wanting to f- uh, feel and live a comfortable, happy life. Yeah. Great. Cool. Okay, back to it. So this article is from the Huffington Post. It is from January 22nd of 2019, so very recent. It is written by Margaret Dillaway, and it's called What White Western Audiences Don't Understand About Marie Kondo's Tidying Up. And um, It was really interesting. Really interesting. And I thought it was interesting that the book was written to tide over people who were waiting for her um, organization services. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Because, like, the wait list is, like, two, three years. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. I, I'm surprised she still, she still does that. So basi- well, that's her business. I think Like, that's her bread and butter. And she has people who do it. But the the desire has been overwhelming now. Wow, I bet. Oh, my God, I bet. I'd love to invite her to my house. <laughs> um, so this article basically talks about uh, Shintoism mm-hmm. and how— um, Shintoism believes that Shinto spirits are present everywhere Mm -hmm. in humans, in nature, even in inanimate objects. Mm -hmm. And those spirits are called 
Kami. I could be saying that wrong, K-A-M-I, but basically this author's mother really regarded every single object as this sacred, beautiful thing, even a spatula, Mm -hmm. because a spatula requires hundreds of human minds to get it ready, designed Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. the manufacturing, Mm -hmm. into her house that she uses every day. Um, And it was this beautiful, it's this beautiful perspective of that you can respect and love and be grateful for all the things around you because they're actually spirits Mm -hmm. there to help you and serve you, which I thought was so beautiful. So funny because when I wrote back to Heather, I was like, I think, and I think you probably saw this email, Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm probably more aligned with Shintoism than I am with Christianity because I truly feel like every inanimate object is alive to me. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Which is also part of the reason that I have trouble getting rid of things because I'm like— this little guy, this little thing yes. as a spirit. So um, I, I'm definitely in line with that. And it was a it was a unique and cool perspective to think about her practice of um, KonMari yes. through the lens of Shintoism. And, and it makes sense why a lot of people would have a reaction to it in a pr- primarily Judeo-Christian lens. That's right. That's right. And um, I love how Heather put it in her email, which is like, it's about removing the things that prev- that are preventing you from having joy. Yeah. That is different to me than only keeping things that spark joy. Because it's like you were saying, like, you need those 15 shades of lipstick, yeah. but you you can't get rid of them, but they don't necessarily spark joy. And yeah, Or if I am a primary caretaker of somebody who's um, ill in my house, there's going to be a lot of medical products that yes. do not spark joy. That's right. But I cannot get rid of them. That's right. So, um, and and again, you know, it's hard when you're like, whittling down a major concept to bite-sized chunks of course and it's like a like a copy a a tape of a a copy of a tape versus an actual original you know Mm -hmm. like our interpretation is going to be different than the author's interpretation but i think that happens anytime anyone reads a self-help book yeah so oh yeah absolutely yeah but um, i love that i love heather's and this and this article's um, kind of perspective really helped. Yeah, and one more thing I want to touch on, which is really interesting. There, there apparently was a big backlash to Marie Kondo and her methods among white Westerners because mm-hmm. we obviously have different values mm-hmm. as a culture, as a whole, um, than Marie Kondo and her Japanese roots. And something that the author of this article in the Huffington Post says, um, and we'll put a link to the article in show notes if you want to read it. Um, so basically. It's that everybody was othering. A lot of people are othering Marie Kondo. Mm-hmm. And and the backlash is sort of like white Westerners mm-hmm. are, are refusing to take advice from a woman of color mm-hmm. who is saying, hey, this system and these values that you have, like, here's a thing that might upend all of those. Mm-hmm. And us us sort of going, oh, well, this is a woman of color, not in a stereotypical service role that we're used to portraying or mm-hmm, seeing. Mm-hmm. And so that's where some of the backlash is coming from. So it's it's really interesting. It goes deeper just than yeah, hiding your house. Think about that. I, I, the author did make a point about how nobody ever did that to Martha Stewart. And I disagree with that sentiment because yeah. she had been skewered across, across mediums and ended up serving time in prison. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I don't necessarily agree with that, but it is something to think about w- why you're bristling. Are you bristling because she is um, mm-hmm. different from you or are you bristling at uh, 
the the approach. Yeah, and she will, and she does say like there was a little bit of backlash too. Here's here's the quote that she says. Uh, I had never seen quite this level of concentrated venom directed towards a self-help or home decor person, not Martha with her thousand-stepped craft projects, not Rachel Hollis telling girls to wash their faces and to judge friends based on whether they can keep off weight, not even Gwyneth when she told everyone to steam their lady parts and wedge a jade egg inside, which I'd never heard of, all, all received backlash, but none garnered as much misguided indignation as Kondo long after she managed to sell two million copies of her debut book. So, this is striking a chord in it's how not. people how people value their homes, how what their values are, why yeah. people are holding on to these. This is really striking a deep and in some cases divisive chord with people. Yeah, it's interesting, and I would I would love to 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 see more. I mean, obviously, I don't know if there's any research about it, but it's hard for me to discern um, because I know my issues with Marie Kondo are not based around the fact that she's a Japanese woman, yeah, yeah. but are based around the fact that she's telling me what to do in my house, right? Yeah. And with my belongings versus mm-hmm. Gwyneth is encouraging me to buy something and shove it up my vagina, which I'm not going to do. <laughs> okay. um, and she's not ta- she's not saying, you know, your value system is incorrect for not steaming your vagina, yeah. right? Um, I think a lot of people are, are really interpreting it as that your value system is incorrect because, of, because you keep too many things. Oh, it's interesting. I never got that sentiment reading her book. And I don't know if you got that sentiment watching the show, but she never says, like, you're wrong to do this. You're wrong to think this. She is saying, hey, you can find a level of freedom and joy if you're feeling all of these terrible things. Take a look around your home and see how you can make it to serve you and only be surrounded by things that bring you joy. It actually is very positive. I don't disagree, except inherent in any self-help, and we'll talk about this on another weekly brief. Inherent in any self-help construct is the belief that you can do something better. Mm-hmm. You can do it better, which means you're not doing it the best right now. That's right. Got it. And if you're going to say to somebody, the way you're living is holding you back, mm. I find it hard to really believe that they equally and and 100% also value that your way is fine. Right. <laughs> Right. <laughs> There's when you create a mm-hmm. different way of living, yeah, uh, without spending time to yeah. to also equally value the way you are currently living mm-hmm. and offer them as a choice yeah. without making one better than the other. Yeah. I mean, the minute that you say better, you create an inherent value well, system. Well, I I don't know that I actually don't know that she ever uses the word better in her book to to defend her. You may and not say, have to say better. No, 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 but she she very much is like, okay, if you've picked up this book and you're reading this because yes. you want a positive change, great. here are the ways it can help you. I mean, I also think think about our culture. We have A&E's hoarders. Yeah. We have all of these um, um, transformational home yeah. and garden shows. That's right. The premise in our society is that y- you're doing it wrong. Right. So I think, and I think that's about consumerism. There's something wrong with you and you need to fix it. Got it. There's something inherently wrong with you. You need this beauty product. You need yeah. this weight loss product. You need this type of clothes. Yeah. Clothing. All, right? Always more, more, more. Yes. Yeah. So I think that it's really hard for, which makes perfect sense why I don't understand an Eastern philosophy in my Western philosophy, yeah. which is that in my culture, if you come in and tell me this is the way that you should be doing things, yeah. my assumption, because of the way that I've grown up by being constantly marketed and, and told that the way I'm 
the way I'm living is wrong or something's mm-hmm. wrong with me. I can't just hear that and say that's a cool option. What is right. built into my psyche is that I'm fucking it up and right. I'm doing it wrong right. and you have the better solution. Well, you know what you said on an, an episode? I think it was in I'm Judging You. Mm-hmm. You said something so beautiful and profound, which was if you know one thing to be true and you are hearing Something that you can't imagine to be true. And in that case, we were talking about how racism is real. Yeah. And even though you're not racist and maybe your your experience is not one of a racist society, right. can you hold, in the other hand, this cognitive dissonance yes. that both might be true, that America might be wildly racist and, and you're not a racist and don't experience racism, yes. right? So circling back to that, it's like— can we do we can we allow this space for both to be true for I have these values and I've grown up in yes. this Western consumerism yes. society and my life is fine the way it is. Oof. And also there is another way that could bring joy or I a different sense of liberation. Yeah. I 100% agree with that. I don't think that we are primed for that in our We're, society. So I understand not, the backlash when yeah. people are like, don't tell me to throw out books. You know what I mean? Well, like, I, it's <laughs> funny. I never, I never got that vibe from her at all in the book of throwing. She said, I didn't either. But then the minute people started watching that Netflix show, there was this huge outlash on there Twitter. Was. Oh, well, okay. So here's what I will say. Let's, let's yeah. switch to the show. And we promise this will not be a million years long mini-sode. But Who cares if it is? Because I also have an email. Yeah, yeah. Lisa has an email. But clearly this book is touching yes. on a nerve in modern American society. So... Uh, my friend Corey, hi Corey, I love you so much. Yes. Um, told me to watch episode four. She was like, "If you're going to watch any episode okay, of Tidying I, Up, I watch episode one. four. Mm-hmm. So this is specifically Tidying Up after a loss. So she knew this would really spark with me yeah. because getting rid of the belongings of someone who has died is tough. Is so hard. Yeah. Like. You know, I had to do what I had to do when my dad passed away. I was living in California. His home was in Florida. I could not make a million trips back and forth. Even if I did have a home to store things in, which I don't, Mm -hmm. I would have had to drive it across country. He had, you know, he had 50 years worth of accumulation in a house in Florida. And I live in a tiny apartment in California. Yeah, And I know... there's there's no way to really do it or not do it without regret in my experience. Mm-hmm. And I kept one of my dad's coats because I can put it on and feel like he's giving me a hug. Yeah. And it's really beautiful. And and at the same time, it's like I, I wish that I hadn't gotten rid of so many of his clothes. Yeah. I wish I'd kept more shirts or more things. But then it's like he is not the objects, right? So in this moment, I'm sure you can all hear in my voice that emotional attachment to objects and what they represent and the people who owned them it's not it's not a simple thing it's complex it takes people years it does and so in watching this episode there's this woman who actually is in culver city california (gasps) which is my neighborhood and she has lost her beloved husband of like 26 or 35 years a really long time and they've lived in this home they had three kids together and she does clean it up in one go and I I think she's retired and it takes her like 40 days to go through her home all day every day and um the way that 
Marie Kondo came into that house and treated it. She does this beautiful greeting of the house where yeah. she walks in that is nice. and she bows and she kind of just honors like, wow, the energy in this house, which sounds really woo woo, but like that's what home is. It's mm-hmm. the energy that you create in any space. Yeah, and so a lovely tone before you start it, to part with things. It does. And, and watching this woman go through her husband's clothes, you know, 40 years of a marriage worth of paperwork and knickknacks and vacation photos and all that stuff, I I really walked away with a better understanding of the tone of tidying up and the respect that you can bring to it. And that, like Heather said, all in one go, you could never go through 30 years of accumulation in a weekend. You can't. I feel like the show is a much better explanation of the book. And you are like the segue queen because (laughs) that's what my friend Allison emailed about. So can I read this email? Yes. So my friend Allison, um, whom I met uh, right after I moved here, um, is really wonderful. And she... um, had kind of texted me and said, oh, I'm, I'm listening to your episode and I'm having a lot of thoughts. And I said, <laughs> now listen, I'm happy to talk about you, talk about talk about it with you and talk about you. Yeah, let's um, talk about Allison. But I said, would you email it to me? Yeah. And so she did. She said, hi, love, piggybacking on your conversations around Marie Kondo's book. My parents were also raised by two women who lived through the depression, so I really understand your point of view. Mm. However, that impulse went a different way for my family. I lived in two homes overwhelmed by stuff. Uh. Parents divorced, so two homes. My mom was one who never threw anything away, i.e. almost a hoarder. And Mm. my dad endlessly collects beautiful things, i.e. his home is a cluttered, claustrophobic museum. And then when I was 29, my mom passed away and we three kids inherited a family of fives house full of stuff. (sighs) And being the oldest and most settled, a lot of it came to me. Dishes, family photo albums, my mom's favorite kimono, an antique piano that's been in our family for three generations, Mm. her pottery from high school pottery class, towels, baby books. It was a lot. Yes. And now this pile of crap was all steeped in sentimentality. And then... She writes, funny story, when people die, everyone feels the need to give the family all the little mementos that were given to them by the deceased. I got horrible jewelry, healing crystals, (laughs) little (laughs) shitty window hangings that caught light that said family on them. She says, horrible jewelry, shitty window (laughs) No, Allison. And then she says, thank fucking Christ for Marie Kondo's book. I did my entire house over a month several years ago and found it incredibly useful. Yes. However, my mom's stuff stayed tightly packed in the garage. I just couldn't even look yes. at it. Yes. It took 10 years of distance and several years of living a Marie Kondo lifestyle before I could begin. Yes. But in 2016, I did it. And because oh. I've gotten used to parting with sentimental things that only brought me sadness, saying thank you to things that were a lesson and donating things that I didn't want to carry into my future, I was able to manage it pain- quickly and mostly painlessly. Wow. Now, every January, when I always have a lull in work, acting doesn't really come back for me until February-ish, I go through my house, room by room, closet by closet, drawer by drawer, and donate things that we no longer want to carry in our- into our future. My feeling is consumerism is a beast that needs to stay caged. We purchase differently and we donate differently. It's painless and keeps me feeling calm and settled in my home. Among other things, I still have the antique piano, her kimono, and one piece of pottery that makes me smile. 
I love that. I know. And I said, this is beautiful and I love you. I love that. And then she said, I had one thing to add. Specifically, it gave me the tools to evaluate items in my life beyond its usefulness. Mm. Because just because something is useful doesn't mean you need it in your house. That's right. And then I said, um, that made me think of my dad's wife has a, a, a phrase about gardening. Mm. She says, just because it's green doesn't mean you need to keep it. In the garden. And I was like, you know, I can apply that uh, across. And then I asked her a follow-up question. I said, Allison, was your experience in writing and sharing this with me cathartic or similar to decluttering? Or did you feel a need to, like, vindicate yourself uh, and Marie Kondo and the uh, KonMari method? I'm just curious. Mm. And she said... There may be a little vindication in there. For me, it was just, it felt like you ladies were missing an element. Like this book is good for blank kind of thing. Got it. And then she said, side note, I'm such an insane people pleaser that I get self-help books and only see my own faults. So I value your questioning them so astutely. I value seeing it from your perspective because in some ways it allows my own voice to be heard inside my own head. Does that make sense? Yeah. However, in this case, I feel like this book was incredibly healing for me. As someone who grew up in a lower class, alcoholic, depressive, almost hoarder home, I have physical aversion to neglected things. Yes. Pockets of chaos make me sweat and feel panicky. But I had no real tools to manage the stuff, so I would just endlessly, quote, organize them, just like she said. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I learned what to keep that I yeah. was able to feel at home in my own home. Add to that the dead mom's house full of stuff, I was drowning. And it's uh, not just the stuff, it's the emotional labor of carrying the right. stuff. Which is huge. Yeah. And she said, when you're the oldest female child and your mother dies, you become the holder of her stuff and therefore the holder of her memory. That's right. I had a museum to my mother in my garage that I didn't feel like I had permission to let it go because it became my responsibility and no one asked. It was just understood. Then she says, insert the rage of being a woman. Marie Kondo gave me the permission to shed all of that. Of course, I reached out and said, hey, do you want this broken pottery from mom's high school pottery class? When they said, no, I want you to have it. I was able to say thank you and throw the fucking thing away. L-O-L-O-L. That's right. So I just wanted to say thank you and thank Allison and Mm. thank Heather. Yeah. For sharing, because you're right, this is really touching on, and I'm sure this is going to be like a full-length weekly beef. Sav is nodding his head. (laughs) I have a lot of things to understand. Yeah, like, uh, it really does feel a lot of things. And, you know, your sister said something, and I responded to her, that, like, we're all grandchildren of depression children. Mm -hmm. But we all don't behave the same, because, like, my Mm -hmm. best friend, Sarah, as I said this— would throw away pennies when she would clean them up, pennies and nickels and dimes, because she was like, what do you do? Because that's what her family did. And I was like, I nearly died. No, my eyes popped out of my head when I read that. And no judgment. And to be fair, I she just, doesn't do that now. Right, right, right. And, that, and that's not a judgment. That's just a, we were scraping together pennies when I was growing up. So like, well, you I know. Think, and I just think every, it doesn't matter we Yes, we're of course we're all children and yeah. grandchildren of the depression. But I think everybody has different yeah. Values. And yeah. I think what's interesting about this book is that it targets values. Yes. And I, I think that's what's so interesting is is in this the height of the information age. Yeah. Is we are a lot of us are having access to these different ways of thinking and yeah. different value shifts and yeah. perspectives. And so the fact that it's sparking any debate at all, I think is really positive. Because it is. Because you may go. No, fuck that. I hate that. That's not for me. And then feel even more secure in your values, yeah. you know, than you did before. So I think that's great. And I think 
I think we could talk about this forever. Yeah. So I'm sure more people write in and please do. Yeah, please, please write in. But I I love that Allison and Heather um, and a few other people have said, here's what I think you're missing. Yeah. And opened our eyes to that. That's why we're doing this podcast. Yeah. We want to expand our horizons and our hermeneutical lens. Yes. And and dig deeper. And look, at the end of the day, Misty is still going to use her superpower of finding what's useful in a self-help book. Right. And at the end of the day, I'm still going to hate it. That's right. It's just the way we're built. (laughs) So stay tuned for so much more, everyone. Yes. We love you. Have um, an amazing day, week, drive, commute, cleaning session. Life is abundant. Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less, was produced by Misty Stinnett, Lisa Linky, and Matt Sav. Our theme song was also written by Matt Sav. He's amazing. <laughs> do you want to get in touch? You do. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And you know you can also find us on the social medias. Instagram at gohelpyourselfpodcast. Twitter at G-H-Y podcast, or check out our website, gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes to help other people discover our show. It's really the least you can do. And why don't you tell all of your friends? Bye! Bye.